I need your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. <laughs> you forgot to say please. When I was in sixth grade, I was part of the local Boy Scouts in Rankin, Texas. Now, the Boy Scouts, I think we had like five or seven of us. It was a real small little troop. But anyways, my fellow Scouts and I were out of town at one point at a Boy Scout camp outside of San Angelo, Texas. Uh, I think that's where it was. It doesn't matter. I'm at Boy Scout camp, and my mother had packed a gift for me in my bag of clothes. It was a VHS. Remember, Y'all remember VHS? It was a VHS copy of the movie Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Why my mom chose to gift me a VHS movie while I'm at a Boy Scout camp I'm surrounded by tense mosquitoes and prepubescent nerds. I don't know why she decided to do that. But even if you look past the lack of modern amenities, if you will, that's still very unlike my mother. We didn't have a lot of movies. In fact, I'm really certain we didn't even own a TV at that time. I think we actually had to buy a VCR and a TV. And that was before Craigslist. But anyways, it doesn't matter. It was way out of character for my mom in multiple ways. Also, she was very much against R-rated movies. I couldn't even watch The Simpsons when I was like at a friend's house. The point I want to make is that it proved to be an awesome, awesome gift. In one particular scene of the prized T2, as it's called, there's, there's a moment that is singed deep in my memory. It's the scene between then 12-year-old actor Edward Furlong, the Terminator, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, and there's a bit of narration by the character Sarah Connor, Played by Linda Hamilton. But you're in anyways. You get it? No. All right, my man. No problemo. Give me five. Just put it out your hand like this. Come on. All right. Now hit me. Give me five. Do the same thing. Do the same thing. All right. Okay, that's good. That's good. Um, up high, up high. Five low. <laughs> Too slow. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Let's try it one more time. Good. Now try it. Now try it. Good. Now do me. Give me a five. Watching John with the machine, it was suddenly so clear. The Terminator would never stop. It would never leave him. And it would never hurt him. Never shout at him or get drunk and hit him or say it was too busy to spend time with him. It would always be there and it would die to protect him. Of all the would-be fathers who came and went over the years, this thing, this machine, was the only one who measured up. In an insane world, it was the sanest choice. Even now... More than 30 years later, I cannot help but consider that scene as unquestionably sacred to me. Hello 
friends, and welcome to How to Be 40, my podcast that attempts to delineate what it means to transition from juvenile thinking and behavior to genuine maturity. Fatherhood, for me, is one of the most rewarding experiences of my life so far. My daughter is 13, and my son is 9, and to be a part of their life as they mature and learn to navigate this crazy world is nothing short of awesome, rewarding, life-changing and of course, path altering, meaning that fatherhood has severely changed both my short and long-term goals. I want to share a story. It happened about uh, six weeks ago. My wife, my daughter, and my son, the Dean Squad, as I call them sometimes, traveled to McKinney, which is outside of Dallas, for a baseball tournament. My son was pitching. He plays 9U, which means... He's nine years old, and the U stands for, I have no idea what that stands for. Who cares? He plays baseball. He's nine years old. So he's pitching, and this kid comes up to bat, and he's got a pink bat. Now, first off, I think that that's rad. So I know this kid's legit. you got a pink bat. He hits a line drive directly at my son's face, like straight up gangster lightning speed. There's a video of it. And it's just like a movie. His feet, my son's feet, fly off the ground. My son peels back like he flies back slams on his back and I'm standing in the dugout no more than 50 feet away and as soon as and I don't have the perfect angle on it but as soon as I see it hit I wasn't really sure how hard it had connected to his face or if it even had connected to his face at all maybe he's got his I was hoping he had got like got his glove or his hand up or he somehow kind of got his face out of the way but he looked over at me as soon as he spun over on all fours, and I saw blood coming from his brow. But more importantly, I saw, I saw panic, which, of course, moved me to action. Long story short, he's fine. He's very much okay. But there's a key moment I want to focus on during that, that little ordeal. It's the moment that I'm sitting with Lachlan. So I run out to the, to the mound. And I, I'm sitting with Lachlan just seconds after the impact. And I have my dirty, grimy hand pressed against this gash just above his eye. He's not crying, but he is highly concerned about what has just happened to him. And I'm sure he is in a lot of pain. At that moment, every single fiber of my consciousness is being allocated to him. I have no concern for anything else at the moment. I'm not thinking about bills that are due, my job in the oil field, my metalworking business. I'm not thinking about CrossFit. I don't care about my friends, my wife, my mom, my daughter, myself. I have absolutely zero concern for everyone and everything on this earth at that particular space and time with the exception of one human being. Every bit of me is fully invested in ensuring that this person is okay. And thankfully he was. Now, do me a favor, just kind of hold that story in your pocket, and if you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So hold that thought, and I'm going to transition, but come back to it. I tell that story because it's one of three key events that occurred recently that collectively inspired me to talk about fatherhood on this podcast. The first was this evening I just described to you with my son getting hit. Well, he actually got a beat down from a baseball. That was the first incident. The second was... The day after my 42nd birthday, a few months ago, I get a text from my mom. It's not a phone call. 
I get a text message from my mother. I should pull it up. You know what? That's the magic of podcasts. I'm going to pause this and pull it up. Okay. I got this April 23rd at 9.47 p.m. That's a Friday. It's eight words. Quote, just got word that Milton died last November, end quote. Let me put some context on that. The 23rd was the day after my 42nd birthday. I may have already mentioned that. It doesn't matter. Milton is my biological father. Don't feel sorry for me. This isn't a, a pity party podcast. He wasn't really a part of my life. He actually, <laughs> at one time, he actually denied being my father. Godly, this is a fun, fun story, even though he was. Third event. So that's the second event. The third event that ultimately served as the catalyst. It, this event actually served as a catalyst that set up, uh, that kind of triggered me to want to create this episode, was a comment that I got from a young friend of mine. I'm at lunch with this dude named Jake. We actually went shooting not an hour ago. He's a good dude. We went out to go eat lunch, and he went out of his way to compliment me on my fatherhood. He said I was a good dad. Now, typically, and this is the case for most of us, compliments are compliments. And we actually had a podcast about that. They, they, they feel good. That, that's great. Like someone says, man, you're good at this, or you're a talent at this, or nice shoes, uh, whatever. But not all compliments serve as like a nutritious soul food, right? I'm not talking about collard greens. I'm talking about like, you know, feed and light a fire in your soul. But sometimes they can be. That comment was collard greens for me. I have a deep, deep father issue. It's a haunting matter. We're not going to talk about that on a podcast. You, you hit me up on some campfire convo or something and we'll, we'll elaborate on that. I cannot watch any sort of movie or even hear a song about the power that, you know, you know the, the powerful father moment where the father does this or there's an epiphany by the son or the daughter, blah, blah, blah. I cannot watch any sort of powerful father moment movie and not get emotional. And for a young man who was raised by an incredible father to compliment me on being a good father, after he has witnessed the way I parent my children and say, you're a really good dad. And by the way, I do know Jake's dad as well, and so I know that he was, he was fathered well. But that compliment kind of helped me to address the void and self-doubt within me. And even, even back in my young age, my mom was not ignorant to much of the damage growing within me. I'm going to put it on myself here. And that damage resulted in me desperately trying to find and obtain for years the approval of male elders, like coaches, teachers, older friends, even at a it was, God, I was so ignorant and stupid. I was one of those guys where, like, the coach said, hey, Noah, run full speed into a brick wall. I'd be like, yes, sir, coach. I want your approval. Let me pop. Got you, coach. Am I, are you cool? Am I happy? Are you happy? We cool? You love me? What is so stupid? Anyways, she rec my mom recognized that. And even at a very young age, she tried to enforce the truth that God himself could serve as a dad for me. Which brings me to a point I want to make. I could sit here and whine all day about things I didn't have. This isn't a pity. I'm not going to whine. You know, about experiences I did or did not have or things I missed out on because I did or did not have an earthly, I'm holding quotation, earthly dads. I never, I got the birds and the bees talk from my mom. Holy crap. My mother gave me the birds and the bees talk. Man, I remember that like it was yesterday. That is an interesting campfire conversation. 
you will laugh. Hit me up and we'll talk about that. But here's the truth of it. I would be a blatant liar and astoundingly ignorant if I claimed that throughout my childhood, without a, quote, father, if I said that I was not protected, that I was not looked after, and guided by a father. I've been exposed to the right people who offered value in my life at right times. Ultimately, I've been distanced from toxic people, although at times I really wanted to be close to some of those toxic people. You know how you like, you see somebody and you really want to get close to them and you realize they're probably not the best influence, but I know how to work. I know the value of honesty. I've learned to care for people but not be a doormat. I can forgive when I muster up the courage to do so. And I, I realized I need to give my mom a ton of credit for much of my character. Thanks, mom. But check this out. Check this out. Check this out. This is for people who believe and not believe and are on the fence. It doesn't matter. If we can only know one thing about God, right? Everybody always argues about God. Does he exist? What's his character? If we can only know one thing about God, if we can only make a single point, if you're going to try to tell somebody and you only have three seconds to tell someone who or what God is, even just a single word to illustrate the heart, the mind, the intention, the objective of God. We need to look at how Jesus told disciples to pray. There's a point in the Bible. The disciples are talking to Jesus and like, hey, Jesus, you're always talking about praying. You got to reach out to the Father. Why don't you tell us how to pray? And Jesus said, when they asked him, Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. And he says, our Father, and he goes on to say the prayer. You probably recognize that. That has become known as the Lord's Prayer. It's not like Jesus said, hey, this is the Lord's Prayer. You need to say it. But the first two words he says in initiating prayer, he says, our Father. Think about that. I'm not going to keep reading the Lord's Prayer because the point I want to make has already been made. Jesus himself describes God in the first two words. And I think it describes God in such a way that many of the arguments and debates, disagreements we have about God, it's a waste of time. What is an ideal father? We already know this. A father, a good one, the ideal father, is loving, caring, gracious. He's knowledgeable. He's humble. He's kind. He speaks, but he doesn't yell in anger. He's stern, but doesn't lose his temper. He's available and present, yet he offers freedom of choice, right? Also catch the first word, though. Did Jesus say, my father? He said, our father, which means the most loving, protective, enduring, forgiving father in existence is fully available to each of us. Our father. That's how he addresses God himself. The reason I had an obsession with Terminator 2 is because a young man was lost in the world. He had no dad in sight. And he was being protected and sheltered relentlessly by a powerful, courageous, capable, dare I say, loving man slash machine. I was that kid. We were literally almost the same age. The movie addressed a void that I, like so many others, felt at a young age. When my son got hit in the face with a line drive, it illuminated a drastic machine-like focus and commitment within me to protect him no matter the cost. I would have arm wrestled a grizzly bear at that point. I had become the terminator that I needed in my life. And it took a compliment from a friend who had grown up with a loving, protective father to get me thinking about it all. And then I had to admit the truth to myself. 
about this hurt, these scars, this pain that I claim to have within me. The entire time that I was lost, alone, struggling as a kid, when I would literally pray for God to kill me, I had the ultimate loving father with me the entire time. He was there, listening, guiding, protecting me from negative influences. And that negativity came from myself at times. And now, holy crap, I have been blessed with one of the most honorable responsibilities imaginable. I get to be the loving, protective father, but I get to do it in person to pass on the lessons I've learned from my heavenly dad to my beautiful son and daughter. I know the perfect role model and guide to help me be the father I'm called to be. For those of you struggling to release bitterness or pain from not having a father, God himself is still there. You only need to reach out. He is our father. For those struggling to understand how to be a great father, that same God is available to us. I'm Noah Dean. Thanks for listening. Thank you.